0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Everybody ever meet anybody like overly spiritual? Like have you met somebody who fancied themselves like they're just way too spiritual? Like they pray before they do like, hey, you want to come out and watch the game at my house? And they're like, let me pray first. Like, why would you do that? Just come over. Like Jesus wants you to come over. Like. And then extra spiritual are people who, like, pray over their clothing before, like, what should I wear today? We have one of those people in our church, and it worked. It's scary, but it worked. Rob, come on up here for a second. Come on up here. You know the drill. We did this in the first service. You're an expert at it now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you <don't. laughs> Okay, it's okay. I want everybody to read his shirt. <laughs> wow. Yo, Rob, this is not a safe place. Let me tell you, man. This is not a safe Pray for me. That's good. That's good. Pray that I could have some. They hurl insults. It's okay. Listen to the text today as his shirt says instant lunch on it. Okay. You'll pick it up pretty quickly. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Rob, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? this he said to test Rob, for he himself knew what he would do. Rob answered him, all the money in the world would not buy enough bread for them, Jesus. We need an instant lunch, and we need it now. (laughs) One of his other disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, I'm going to pop them into the mic on power seven, and all of a sudden there's going to be a lot of food for everybody. Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill of this instant lunch, they gathered up leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by the, those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is coming into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Rob, I have a question. What did your wife say when you wanted to wear that today? And your pastor is saying that it was prophetic and on point. So you go home in power, my friend. You go home in power. Yes. The worship team can come up. We're going to close the service now. he, dude, do not go home in power. That was a bad idea. Don't. That's funny for a split second, but then I feel like as a pastor, I'm like, I was just kidding. Don't say any of this, because I don't want her to get mad at me. Not so much you. I don't care. Me. I don't. Okay. Thank you. Yes. So hi, we're back. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm having a legit ADD day today, so please, everybody, just follow along, and maybe afterwards you can give me some pointers on a stand. I've been all over the place, so this is going to be fun. Buckle up. I might say some crazy things. The first thing that I want to say here with this text is you've heard me say this a lot, and I will say this until I die. The only way to understand who Jesus is is through the power of the Holy Spirit, who constantly brings Jesus to our remembrance. And why does he do that? Because Jesus is what the Father is like. Whenever you read the word God in the Bible, we are not to understand what that word means apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he was named, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. In Colossians, it says, and the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. When Jesus sat down to eat, God sat, sat down to eat. When Jesus said your sins are forgiven, God was saying your sins are forgiven. When Jesus got tired, God got tired. When Jesus died, it gets really complicated, and there's a lot to talk about there. Jesus is what God is like. The, who, the apostle Paul, who initially was Saul, his Torah, his Hebrew scriptures say, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a... and." all his jewish friends began to worship somebody who was hung from a so he was going to persecute them because his bible says cursed is anyone who hangs from a was he wrong no until he met jesus and then he had to reread what he had known his whole life and understand it new again because now god hung on a tree And now we can worship that person. Gregory of Nicaea said this. He said, a person who refuses to learn is the most dangerous person of all, for they have ceased to be a disciple of Jesus and are now a disciple of their own opinion. (sighs) Who wants to come to the altar right now? Like, that's just done. The church fathers will kill you. Done. This understanding Jesus is re-understanding God forever. Learning about Jesus is learning about God new again forever. But I want to add a dimension to this. Jesus is what God is like, but Jesus is also what the Holy Spirit is like. How many are trying to live a spirit-filled life? Jesus is the one who fully 100% lived the entirety of a Pentecostal vocation. Jesus' whole life is the fullness of what it looks like when an individual and, for that matter, an entire community lives perfectly according to the Holy Spirit. Jesus' life is the life that a Pentecostal is called to live because his is the life fully breathed out and animated by the Holy Spirit from beginning to ascension. His whole life is the animated life of the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus was extremely liturgical. Oh my gosh, you said liturgy again. Jesus didn't go to the cross until it was Passover. Jesus didn't climb the mountain in this text until it was Passover. Jesus didn't go to the temple until it was Sabbath. Jesus was handed the scroll of Isaiah because that was the lectionary text for that Sunday and the temple on that day. Jesus did everything that a liturgist should do, but also was animated fully by the Holy Spirit and did things well outside of the liturgy. There was a liturgy that said, wash your hands before you eat. And granted, COVID wasn't around, but Jesus let his disciples eat without washing their hands. Jesus said things like, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, he was getting out of liturgy as much as he was following it because his life was the life fully breathed out by the Holy Spirit. So everything we see in Christ is everything that we're supposed to be living as Pentecostal Christians. I will say this to all of my Orthodox brothers and sisters. Everybody is called to have a Pentecostal vocation because we are called to live the life of the Holy Spirit the way that Jesus did. In one of the prayers, it says that it's a prayer that thanks God for saving us. And when it lists the ways that he saved us, it's thank you for saving us through your bloody death. Thank you for saving us through the cross. Thank you for saving us through the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for saving us through the resurrection. And then it says this, thank you for saving us by sending us the Holy Ghost. And one of the things that we may have overemphasized is the Holy Ghost has been given to us for mission. The Holy Spirit is what we should be doing, but before the Holy Spirit is action, the Holy Spirit is part of God's redemption. The Holy Spirit comes. Jesus came to die and be raised to save us from our sins. The Holy Spirit has come to save us from ourselves all through the New Testament. Walk according to the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the... Before the Spirit tells us what we should be doing, the Holy Spirit is always a Savior to separate us from our own carnality. Can anybody use a little bit of separation from their carnality today? I painted a bedroom yesterday. Do you want to know how carnal I was yesterday? Painted a whole bedroom by myself. Maybe for some of you, that is like, whatever, I do that all the time. But for me, this is an act of the Lord. I had some people giving me opinions while I was painting. So I realized yesterday, I need the Holy Spirit to save me from myself, which is also saving my family from me. Okay. I'm always the worst sinner in the room. I I make these jokes and everybody's like, oh, I cannot believe you. You're sinners too. All right, we got to start calling them out like we used to. Phil, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Wow, his wife laughed pretty loud. Remember the days when the prophets would come to the church and start telling you your stuff? Like I would always be taking notes when he walked by me. Like, I would start to, like, fervently look like I was having a moment with the Holy Spirit to avoid being called out. Or I would ask Ian, can I help you in the balcony where you have stayed forever? I'm going to call you down one of these days. He gave me a thumbs up. In this story, we see how the Holy Spirit wants us to live. There's no slides today because there's one point I want you to leave with, and I'll just decorate this point for the rest of the sermon. But the one point is this. The Holy Spirit doesn't hoard power for himself. The Holy Spirit empowers other people at the expense of himself. The Holy Spirit isn't greedy for power. The Holy Spirit is generous with power. The Holy Spirit empowers. Jesus said, I know somebody got healed because I felt power leave me. Jesus breathed the breath of life back into us because it says when he breathed his last on the cross, his last breath was our re-first breath. When God breathes for the final time, we can finally breathe again. God enlivens by losing his life. He heals by saying, power went out from me. Jesus, wearied as he was, sat by a well in John 4, and a Samaritan woman came, and the weariness of Jesus was transferred into quenching of a thirst for her. God is generous with his power. The reason why Jesus can continue to have power is because he's always getting rid of it. And the Holy Spirit always empowers emptiness. <laughs> so the more you pour out, the more he pours in. That's how it works. How do we know this about today? It says this. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Everybody say Galilee. Galilee. Which is also the Sea of Tiberius. Say Tiberius understand something. John is writing this gospel. This is the last gospel written. By the time John writes this gospel, everybody knows the Jesus story. Everybody knows what has happened. When you reference Jesus' name, when when the people, when the congregants of John's church read his letter, they know the story. So John is writing to people who already know the gospel story. So when he throws in these clues, that's why there are more clues in the gospel of John than in any of the other gospels, because his gospel was written after. So when it's the last one of the four written, it can contain the most slick moves because he has far more information. He understands more. And so he says, this happened by the Sea of Galilee, which is also the Sea of Tiberias. Well, why does that matter? Because Galilee is now known to be the place that the Messiah came from. The humble, meek, Messiah, who doesn't thwart the Romans by having a larger sword that he uses better, but he defeats the Roman sword by letting it conquer him. He lets it conquer him, and thereby shows that it has no power at all. That's everybody's favorite thing to do, right? Let your worst enemy win. Nobody likes to do that. Bill Bernasconi doesn't even like to do that, and he's the most holy person I've ever met in my entire life. But then it says it's also the Sea of Tiberius. Well, what does that mean? Tiberius was the name of one of the more famous Caesars of the day. Well, what did Caesars do? The exact opposite of Jesus. They gained power by stealing it from other people, by stealing freedom, by stealing rights, by making people afraid, by having them pay tribute, by taking census. Like, Jesus' life begins during a census. And if you're a student of your scriptures, you know how much God loves when David took the census. And the, and the gospel story begins with Caesar flexing his muscles, taking a census, and God was born underneath this egoism of Caesar. And he thwarted it, not by having a greater ego or a better ego or being better at violence. He thwarted it by being the exact opposite. Took power from him by being the opposite. Opposite. So John starts this off by saying, look at who we're talking about. There is a confrontation between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of ego all the time. The kingdom that wants to give and the kingdom that wants to take. And how do we know that Jesus is a giver and not a taker? Because it says that everyone who was there was there because they saw his miracles. Were they there for the right reasons? No. Have you ever met anybody who loves you for your produce but not for you? who loves you for what you have to offer, but not for you if you had nothing? So Jesus is standing there in front of people who are all there for egotistical reasons. And what does he do? Does he tell them that they're wrong? No. He feeds them. Tell them. He feeds them. He's showing that the way of Caesar only creates more mini-Caesars the way of the cross heals people. Jesus doesn't cancel. And Jesus doesn't ignore. He heals. The world can have a cancel culture all it wants. And the opposite is as wrong. Canceling everything is wrong and ignoring everything is wrong. The church should be a healing culture. A serving and a healing culture. okay I'm just saying some things just need to be said Tim Keller once said I don't know how God could rid the world of evil without ridding the world of me and I would say this I don't know how cancel culture could be right without canceling me I deserve to be canceled as much as anything else I'm grateful that Jesus has instituted a serving and a healing culture That's where the church should be. We shouldn't be getting caught up in these two extremes. We should be placing ourselves in the reality of what's happening, seeing all of it, serving and healing. That's what we should be doing. That's what Jesus does here. So he positions himself between Caesar and the people. And then what does it say? He goes up the hill on the Passover. Now they're thinking Moses. Everybody there is thinking Moses. He goes up the hill on the Passover and they're already thinking Moses because it's Passover. Then Jesus climbs a hill, so now they're even more thinking Moses. Then Jesus asks them, do you have anything to eat? Which is the question that Moses actually asked God. Where are we supposed to get bread and meat for the people? So now Jesus is asking the Israelites what the Israelites were asking him, now proving to be the true and better Moses, and then he miraculously provides bread for everybody in a desolate place. So now it's Passover. He's on a mountain and he provides manna for everybody. Everyone there is thinking Moses. Why is it important to know that they're thinking Moses? Because as soon as Moses delivered the people from Egypt, they went through the wilderness and then they conquered the promised land through bloodshed and violence. So now they're saying, yes, if he is positioning himself against Caesar, and he's the true and better Moses, there's about to be a bloodbath, and we are the ones who are going to come out on top finally. So what does it say they do? Perceiving, them that, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew from them. The minute Jesus knew that they were misunderstanding his power, thinking he's going to have power like Caesar's but greater, like Moses but greater, like Joshua but greater, like David but greater, he's going to shed blood and not sin. He's going to shed blood and it'll be blood for the last time. They try to take him by force to make him king. And watch this. Jesus withdraws himself from that kind of pursuit because he's not that kind of king. But there will be another day When they come to take Jesus by force again, we call it Good Friday. They come to take him by force again. And does Jesus withdraw from them this time? He goes, he lets them take him by force. Why didn't he not let them take him by force the first time and then let them take him by force the next time? Because that's the kind of king he is. That's his throne. That's his glory. That's his sword. That's his violence. That's who Jesus is, which means that's who God is, which means that's who the Spirit is. Paul said, I will preach nothing except Christ and him crucified. Well, he talked about marriage through the lens of Christ and him crucified. He talked about giving through the lens of Christ and him crucified. Every topic Paul ever preaches can only be understood through the lens of Christ and him crucified. That's it. As far as we're concerned on this side of eternity, that is how we're supposed to understand God. As the one who defeated power by letting power defeat him in love. So if you've ever tried to pursue God, and you feel like God is just always inches from you, maybe it's because God is loving you enough to not be the God you want him to be. He withdrew from them. Let me ask you a question. The woman with the issue of blood, did she need to touch Jesus? When she touched Jesus, did Jesus move away from her? He said, you just got healed because of your faith. Then, when Mary Magdalene on Easter Sunday tried to touch Jesus, did she reach out and touch him? Yes. Did Jesus withdraw from her? Yes. Do not cling to me. Why is it that sometimes he lets us apprehend him and sometimes he pushes away from us? He lets us apprehend him if he knows we know the kind of God he is and he moves away from us to teach us the kind of God he is if we don't know. So, if you feel like God is always moving away from you, He's not moving away from you relationally. He's teaching you that I'm not the kind of God you're praying to. I'm altogether different. And of course, we don't like that. But we're also not children anymore. So it's okay. Let Him teach you that He's the God you need, not the God you want. What happens next? He feeds people. I want to say this. People often ask me, Pastor, what is your biggest frustration with the church and what is your biggest celebration with the church? You all know I love you very much, so I'm going to talk about my biggest frustration, okay? My number one frustration with this church is this. I truly believe, after having dozens and dozens and dozens of one-on-one conversations over the last, a little over a year, that we walk around and you don't quite know the gift that you actually are. That is my number one frustration that I feel here. I have a lot of little annoyances that I feel here, but the one that I feel in my gut, the one that I feel in my gut is that you're walking around not knowing the gift that you actually are. In the bathtub one day, my daughter blurted out this phrase. She said, We bring promises to people, and people who come to us are promises brought to us. She said, We bring promises to people, and people are promises brought to us. Who? Jacqueline must be real good with Sophia when I'm not around because when I'm around, Sophia's like, I'm a crayon. And then when Jacqueline's around, she's saying like things from like the third dimension of heaven. Like, I don't understand what's happening. I never hear any of this stuff. Jacqueline's always texting me these things. And then I come, home like, Sophia, what did you say to mommy today? And she's like, blap. And I'm like, that's whatever. But we are promises that are brought to people. Your life as it stands right now is more of a gift than you realize. I want to show you this. Uh, Jesus said, we have to give them something to eat. And he says to Philip, where are we to buy bread? And it says, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he was about to do. Salem, my God in heaven, would you please listen to this point? Hey, listen, (laughs) listen to this point. When, G, when we hear that Jesus tests us, we walk around, and this is my frustration right here, we walk around with a view of God where it's like we were good with him yesterday, and now today we're not, and then tomorrow we were good again, and then yesterday we're like A-Rod and J-Lo. It's like on again, off again, on again, off again. Like, my God, our relationships have to look better than a Yankee and a pop singer. If he was a Met, I'd be like, Cool. We can't live this world where every day you wake up you think you're under trial again and God is giving you a final exam and if you pass the test, he's with you and if you don't, he's not. That is a horrible way to live. It's a horrible way to live. Why does God test Philip? He tests Philip not to see if Philip is going to get it right but to show Philip that Philip is more right than he realizes about himself. God doesn't test you to see if you're good. He tests you to show you that you're good. Philip didn't know that he had the ability, if blessed by God, to feed all of these people. Here's the reality. It says in every single Bible, Jesus feeds the 5,000. But that's a title. That's not scripture. Jesus did not feed the 5,000. The disciples fed the 5,000. Jesus provided for the disciples. You have to understand that nuance. Jesus was creating the meal, but he had the disciples distribute the meal because he wants us to know that what little bit we have to offer him is enough for him to redistribute it for any task you have tomorrow. Anything you need to do tomorrow, whoever you need to be for your wife, your husband, your kids, your friends, your family, your state, your country, whatever it is, your tribe, your people, whatever it is that you have to do tomorrow, you have enough and God is going to test you to prove to you that you have enough. When Moses is crying in front of God, who is going to, how am I going to go to Pharaoh? How am I, I stutter, I can't speak right, I, I have no experience in this world, plus they want me dead. How am I going to go to the strongest dictator? on the face of the earth. And what is God's question to him? What is in your hand? Well, I happen to have a staff. Well, that staff is about to become the most sacramental piece of material until the Eucharist. You're going to hold that staff over water and the water is going to part. You're going to hold that staff over water and it's going to turn to blood. You're going to hold that staff until your arms get tired and then people are going to hold up your arms for you to keep holding up that staff and Joshua is going to win some battles down there. That staff, that thing that you had that you didn't even know was a gift is going to become the greatest gift that you've ever had. Salem, you need to know who you are. You don't need to be better. You just need to be offered Alright, I was supposed to say this at Eucharist time, but I'm going to say it now. Because the Holy Spirit, right, Steph? You went and cultivated it, and now I'm lost in it. Satan wants you to be good. He just wants you to not offer yourself. He wants you in this room. He wants you worshiping. He wants you getting blessed. All he wants is for you to not offer it. That's what he wants. He wants Jesus to turn stone into bread so that Jesus doesn't become bread himself. <laughs> he wants Jesus provided for. He wants Jesus to see miracles. He wants Jesus to perform miracles as long as Jesus doesn't become the miracle offered. It's not about you becoming better. It's about you realizing. And we know the phrase. When it says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that that phrase might sound good from a microphone, but in your heart you sit there and say, but I just don't feel like what's in me is enough. And he's saying, what do you have? We got five pieces of bread and two fish. And he doesn't say, give it to the people. He says, give it to me. Whatever you have, even if it's just the story of your own failure, offer it. And when he gives it back, it's more than enough for what you have to do next. And you are always walking around with at least two things, the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, bread and fish. If that's all you have, You have enough to handle anything that comes tomorrow. Your life is worthy of being used by God, infused and used by God right now. It's not the best behaved. It's the ones who know they need grace more, who offer themselves. Present yourself as a living which is your spiritual worship, that is your worship, is to be offered. This kid never asked for his lunch to be given. I'm pretty sure the disciples stole it. That's just my opinion. Who knows? I think it was like a lunchroom, lunch money situation. They're like, oh, my God, we're embarrassed. Kid, give me your lunch. We have two pieces of bread. (laughs) This kid is like, um, really, I didn't ask for you. Like, he, we don't even know his name. He's just like, why did you just take my meal? I, had, I, was, I was actually the only one around here who could eat, and you've taken it from me. You ever stop and think, who gave him that meal? The word in the Greek is a young child. So who could possibly, just without, without being too clever, who could possibly have given this kid his lunch, mom or dad? So you're saying at the beginning of the day, Mom and dad are like, we're going to go see Jesus today. And he's a bit long-winded like preachers are supposed to be. So we're going to need to bring some lunch. An hour and a half and everybody's freaking out. These people are bringing an entire meal to go hear Jesus. So next time you think I'm long-winded, it's cool. I forgive you. They make him lunch. How many have made a kid lunch before? How fun is it? Did you ever think you could possibly change the world by making him or her that lunch? This mom fixed a meal for her child and didn't know that that meal would feed over 10,000 people and quite possibly Jesus himself. You have no idea the gift that you are in the smallest, most insignificant realities of your life. With that said, I would like to just say, as a sidebar housekeeping moment, that we have gone long enough without feeding our kids spiritually. Amen? We can't have Sunday school downstairs just yet, but I really felt the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart to create a ministry that does an interim live on Zoom Sunday school for grades K through six. Why? Because here's what kids need right now. Listen to me carefully. This story really punched this through for me. The kids need a song, a scripture, and a lesson to remember the scripture. That doesn't sound like a lot, but when you give kids a few loaves of bread and a few fish, they can go and feed multitudes with it. Amen? Yes. So please pray with me. I'm talking to a few people. A few people have approached me and said they would like to help with this. If that's you, please approach me after the service. But we want to be able on Sundays in in a week or two to start until the end of May to just at the very least be able to just offer a live Zoom on Sunday mornings, maybe in between services, more info to follow, where we have a team of people who just create a short video that gives them a song, a verse and a little bit of a lesson to help them remember that verse. It's not the max that we want to do with our kids, but this story told me if they just have a little bread and a few fish, some amazing things can happen. So pray with me. Pray yourself. If that sounds like it's interesting to you, please, you know, you can see me over the next couple of weeks. You can see me after the service. The final part I want to say is this. Last week, last week, Stephanie and I were having a conversation on the phone. We were talking about materialism. And last week, I stood here just before uh, service, and I, um, we got to the Eucharist, and I, made a, I said something that I think was clever, but it was mostly for Steph, because it just was like a punchline to our conversation. And I said it out loud, and I didn't know that the feeding of the 5,000 was the text for today, so I was upset that I wasted such a good point. But I'm going to say it again anyway because I'm a preacher, and I just like to repeat myself. So what I said last week was I stood up here, and I held the bread, and I said, has anybody ever been taught the story of the feeding of the 5,000 where there was 12 baskets left over, and the sermon was taught that said, God doesn't just want to bless you. He wants to give you abundance. And I said, what if those extra 12 baskets aren't about abundance? What if they're about lack? What if the 12 baskets that were left didn't represent Jesus wanting to overbless the disciples? What if those 12 baskets represented the rest of the people that Jesus wanted to feed that weren't there? What if Jesus created enough bread... For everybody, because this is what it says in Exodus, I'll provide enough bread for every person to have what they need. What if Jesus created enough bread for everybody he wanted to feed, but not everybody he wanted to feed showed up, so there was extra bread to remind the apostles that their ministry now is to feed the sheep until Jesus comes back. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then say it, feed my sheep. What if the 12 baskets are left to remind the church that God has given us an overabundance of not just material goods, but maybe God's given you an overabundance of patience? Maybe some of us, not me yesterday, I could have used somebody's 12 baskets of patience when I was painting pink rooms, which was my idea, <laughs> 100% my idea. I can't even fake on that one. Let's paint her room pink. Jacqueline's like, are you sure? I'm like, I want to, Yeah. It's not God wants to give you abundance, but we have a competing culture, Galilee versus Tiberius, kingdom of God versus America, and we think abundance is the product of a life well lived. It is, but only for one reason. Abundance is the product of a life well lived so that we could join the joy of the Lord in offering it, giving it. You got extra joy this week, God's going to have you meet somebody who has none. You have a little extra stamina this week, God's going to show you somebody who's dog tired. You have a few extra droplets of patience this week, God's going to show you somebody who's about to lose theirs. God is going to give you more than you need of something because you're going to meet somebody who has none of it. And we're not supposed to call them out on their garbage. We're supposed to offer them the thing that they don't have. What does Jesus say? If you believe in me, you will receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be like a river of living water flowing. Does anybody know the song? I got a river of life. Makes the... Come on, somebody sing it. And? I got... Spring it up. Okay, I can't jump because my foot is still hurt. Steph, this is fun. I should just, want to switch? That's messed up, John. You know I can't do it. John's like that friend from American Idol who's like, yeah, you could sing, go. If everybody who believes in Jesus gets the river of life, is that what it says? Everybody who believes in me will get the Holy Spirit and it will be like a river of life. So if everybody who believes in him has the river of life in them, then who's the river of life flowing out for? Everyone who doesn't believe in him. Your life should be a life that is filled with such abundance that it's pouring out of you for people who don't know where that abundance comes from. And they should get swept up in the flood. You don't ask a flood to come into your house. It just does because it's a flood. That's what floods do. They invade. They go in. They don't ask permission. They just break and enter. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do through the church. Break and enter into people's lives who aren't choosing him. And he wants it to come through your abundance. Not to hoard it, but to just offer it and let the world get caught up in Ezekiel's flood. First at the ankles, then at the knees. Then the Spirit's taking them where they even don't want to go. So what? The Holy Spirit's taking them. That's what we're called to. Not to draw a line in the sand and say, look how good we are and look how bad you are, to let our goodness flow over the line. That's what abundance is for. Abundance that is not offered will stress you out. You will be more stressed the more you have. If you get everything you want in life, And you don't see it through the cross, it will kill you. It will ruin you. Why? Because you won't be able to lose it. Because when you're not generous, all you can do is lose. You can't offer. So everything you lose feels like loss. But when the Holy Spirit's generosity gets on you, everything you lose feels like offering. What's the last reason? What's the last reason? why he fills up 12 baskets. What does God say to Moses in Exodus? You're allowed to take enough manna for how many days? Is there a day where they're supposed to take more than one day's worth? The day before the... We're good. You guys are good. Every day take enough bread for one day, but the day before the... Take enough for two days. Why? So that you can eat that day and then rest on the... So is Jesus telling the church, I've given you the food you needed to eat plus extra baskets because your job now, church, is to offer people the extra so that you can bring rest to their soul. The person you meet tomorrow is one meal away from finally entering rest, and you have the basket. We sit there and try to act like the 12 baskets is like extra money, but I love the fact that it's food. Try and keep fish until the next day in a world with no refrigerators. That analogy is stupid, but then it turns out to be genius because I think God is saying you do treat money like you treat fish. You save it for the next day and then it smells like garbage. Oh my God. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Don't open your cups yet. Everybody opens them so early. I heard somebody snicker. (laughs) Darn it! I I now have to wait a whole week to get it right again. (laughs) I just want to... This is me being mystical. If you don't agree, it's perfectly fine. You're dead to me, but I I completely, it's perfectly fine. Is it fair to say that Jesus is not the biggest fan of the devil? Right? The Bible says that when Jesus gets ready for the Eucharist, it says that the devil had already, everybody say already, it had already entered Judas. And I think Jesus does something very interesting here. Satan's first miracle, uh, Satan's first temptation is to get Jesus to turn stone into bread. We just said this before. And what Satan wanted was just to make sure that Jesus himself doesn't turn into bread. That's all Satan wanted. I want you to turn a stone into bread so that you don't turn your body into bread. Because I don't want you offered. I want you rich, but I don't want you offered. So when he gets to the moment where now Jesus is the one holding the bread... I just might be nerding out, but this is just such a crazy conclusion to the temptations. Satan is offering Jesus rocks and says, Turn them to bread. And at the end, Jesus says to Judas, Sit down, I'm going to feed you bread. And Satan's in him. Remember the bread you wanted me to make? I've waited for this moment. Sit down. You're, you don't get to go do what you're doing until I feed you first. Why? Because Jesus wants Satan to know, I'm going to go to the cross but it's not because you tricked people into sending me there. It's because I'm going on my own accord. This is how much I care about your temptations to deceive people. I want to make you a meal just to show you this is how good your temptations are. Sit down and eat before you go. And I think Judas was so comfortable after that in the presence of God that Jesus had to remind him to go betray him. Judas just chilling with everybody else after the meal, and Jesus like, <clears throat> Go do what you're going to do quickly, please. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was going to deny you. I forgot. His presence is so beautiful that even Satan forgets to walk away and needs to be told to. This is what the devil never wanted to have happen. I want you to have 12 baskets, 100 baskets, 50 baskets. But I don't want you to become bread yourself. I don't want you to say, this is my body broken for you. I don't want you to say that. I want you to say, this is my bread that I've earned because I have followed all the Christian principles. You should try the same thing. Are you jealous of how much I have? Well, yeah, we're so jealous of all the blessings you have. How can we get them? Follow the Proverbs. Cool, then I could get rich too. That is not the system God ever had in mind. Using envy as a means to blessing is trash. (laughs) He said, I want you to get so much Salem so that when you give it, it's that much more powerful. Sit down, Satan. You tried to get me to make bread. Now I'm going to get you to eat it. (laughs) Yes. I think, yes, Jesus bruised his heel, but I also think he bruised the back of his hand because he cracked Satan upside the head with that piece of bread. Like, can you, (laughs) the moment is just so delicious. Okay, Satan, remember the bread? Yeah, here you go. All the stones are fine, by the way. This is now my body. I like stones just the way they are. I don't have to change them. My flesh has become what you wanted the stones to become. And isn't that what Ezekiel prophesied? You've had a heart of stone, but I'm going to make it a heart of. God wants a change today, Salem. This is why we come to the table. We don't come to the table because it's ritualism. We come to the table because what we're doing is we're feeding on the moment when Jesus shows us how to handle our lack and our abundance. You could argue both. Jesus had lack. He had lack of followers, lack of understanding. Everything was about to be taken from him. Well, this is how you combat poverty. You offer what little you have. Or you could argue that Jesus had a perfect abundance of everything. He had abundance of power. He had abundance of goodness and mercy. Well, how do you handle abundance? You offer it. It's the same. John, come on up here. I, I sound so much better when there's just a little honey behind it. Now the slow, anointed walk of John Laurent. This is what he wants for you, Salem. You have something in your life. It's enough. Close your eyes right now with me. I want every one of you to think truly about your deepest, darkest feelings about yourself. Some of you have been in church long enough to feel like I'm only as good to God as how good I was yesterday. Some of you have just simply fallen asleep based on being familiar with hearing that you're enough. God's goodness is for you. You've heard it so much, it loses its luster. And dare I say, in some of your marriages, the simple phrases of I love you don't mean anything anymore because you've gotten used to them. This is where we need to become like children again. I'm just going to flow in what I feel like the Spirit is telling me to say right now. This is where we need to become like children again because it's the most familiar things that Satan is after. He would rather you have one epic moment in your life and not see God in all of the mundane moments so that your whole life is defined by the one moment. But what if making lunch becomes the defining moment of your life? Then every time you sit down to make something, you will always be reminded What if it's the simple things that we're supposed to be defined by? Then we will never forget. We'll always be around them forever. What you have in you is enough because it's first given to God. And when God takes something that's horrible, he can give it back and it can be useful. It doesn't matter what it is. It just has to be given to him. We could go all the way down to if you confess your sins, which is offering him something, he's faithful to forgive you. He gives you back what you gave him, but now it's enough. So even if all you have on your mind right now is the worst of you, then turn that into a lunch and give it to him right now. And when he gives it back, it will be the same story with a different ending. It's a twist to us, but it's not a twist to him. It's always been that way. He's always reminding you of what he's always known about you. While we were still sinners, Christ came and died. He never once had a bad opinion about you. You had one of yourself, and you had a bad view of him. He's not coming to show you the new you. He's coming to show you the you. You've always been to him. He called you very good in Genesis, and he's not a God that he should. He doesn't lie. What he says, he creates. And when he calls you very good, you will always and forever be very good. It's just your sin is compiling on top of what you should know about you, and all he does is just blow with that breath of the Holy Spirit, and all that dust flies away. And the you you've always been to him is the you that you will see. You don't need to get better. You need to be offered. If you actually don't think you're enough, or you've just lost sight of the fact that you know you are, this moment is for you right now. The altar's coming to you. He wants you to, I didn't even realize this until just now. What does it say? It says that there was a lot of grass in that place where they sat down. Woo! It says there was a lot of grass in the place where they sat down. Look at this. Look at this. John is the gospel that gives us the parable of the good shepherd. The good shepherd sees grass. He leads me beside, he leads me into green pasture. And then he says, sit down. He leads me beside Stillwater. Do you see what John is painting, the picture he's painting? The good shepherd sees a grassy knoll, and he sees weary people, weary of what? Weary of trying to be their own saviors, weary of living under a theological religious re- regime that puts moralism in front of relationship, and Jesus saying, They're so tired, but here's some grass, and here's some rest. Sit down while I feed you. And that's what he's saying to you if that's you this morning. If you're exhausted of trying to be good and constantly living haunted by the part of you that doesn't feel so good, he's saying there's grass in this sanctuary. Take my yoke. Jesus doesn't give us filet mignon because then we would think we have to be super impressive all the time. He gives us bread and he gives us juice. The poor people food. Even poor people stand on a bread line with Jesus in front of them and behind them on the same line. The bread of life is the bread the poor person receives. The bread of life is also the person on the line with them. So with that As a backdrop, on the night when he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, why don't you repeat after me? When he'd given thanks, he said, take and eat. Come on, say it again. Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat, eat in remembrance of me. Keep repeating after me. I like this. Then after supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he said to them, This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink, drink in remembrance of me. Praise the Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would descend on these little cups, not for some magic moment, but to remind us that if you can turn these, this simple meal, this lunch that was prepared without any thought on autopilot, if you can turn this into the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in Him, what are you willing to do for us? So descend on these elements and make them for your people, the body and blood of Jesus. And descend on us also that we also might become the body of Christ, which is bread for the world. Holy Spirit, I pray that you anoint every man, woman, and child in this room to recognize one area in their life this year where they have more than enough. And I pray that they meet one person who needs some of that life. And I pray that next week, as the worship begins, that there will be songs of thanksgiving being shouted from these seats because of what you did through the lives of the saints that stand in this sanctuary right now. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. This is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. This is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Would you partake with me this morning? Would you just lift your hands with me? Holy Spirit, as we get ready to go, I pray that you shower down on this church. Fill us with your life. Give us eyes to see our abundance and our lack in new ways. Make our heart prepared for the people we're going to meet. You gave us too much today. You give us more than we needed while we were in this room. I pray that we would leave here with baskets full of what we learned today, not just for us, but for the life of a world that needs to see what God's love looks like in everyday life in action. I pray for anyone right now, Father God, who's feeling the Monday gloom start to crack into their Sunday. I pray for anyone right now who right now is feeling like the weekend was already too short. I pray for somebody right now who feels like I didn't have enough time to relax and now i got to homeschool again. Now i got to go to this job. Now I'm going to be busy again. I blink and the weekend is over. I pray right now, Father God, that in that anxiety and in that despair, I pray that you would not remove it, but I pray that you land on top of it and turn it into excitement and mission and joy. I pray that everyone would remember this message that when they're back into that mundane flow, everything they're doing is like the the mother or the father who made the bread and the fish for the child. It is going to be used in ways we can't imagine and we will one day see when we enter your kingdom in fullness. But I pray, Father God, that there wouldn't be anxiety and despair, but there would be curiosity Thanks for listening to the Salem and Tabernacle anointing podcast. and mission. For more information in about holy, us, including gathering and times and our location, amen. 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 check Salem, us out online so at salemtabernacle.com.